Hello, I'm Stephen Herzig, and this is Mirror Dimly Face to Face. It's a great pleasure to be with you again and to share another episode. If you are enjoying these podcasts, please do press the subscribe button or the follow key uh, wherever you normally get your podcasts, and by all means, recommend it to others. In this episode, uh, we're going to be beginning to look at how Jesus uh, redeemed and restored uh, the things that Adam had lost. But just a bit of a recap to start with so that we can uh, remember where we got to in the last episode. Um, In the previous episode, I talked out of Genesis chapter 3, and we were looking at what Adam, what were the consequences of Adam's fall, and there were three very, very specific consequences. Other secondary ones related, but three specific consequences that were uh, directly mentioned in those few verses at the last, at the end of chapter 3 of Genesis. And the three things were, first of all, Adam was driven out of the garden and away from the presence of God. So he lost the sense of presence. He lost his position uh, residing in the house of God, dwelling in the presence of God. Secondly, the God placed a guard by the tree of life to prevent Adam from eating from the tree of life. And that guard was fairly formidable. If you read the passage, you'll see it was a, a warrior angel with a flaming sword. And so Adam was cut off from the life of God. And as God had promised as a judgment, if they ate of the fruit of the tree, they would die. Uh, That is what directly happened. It wasn't immediately a physical death, but it was an immediately a spiritual separation from God, a spiritual death, if you like. And the slow consequence of that working through in every other aspect of their lives so that they would eventually physically die too. And thirdly, they, they found that the soil, the ground, the land was, was not cooperative. There was an antagonism, a, a resistance in all of their efforts to be, lead a, reproduc- a, a productive life. And there were thorns and thistles growing, and their their labor and their toil was more difficult. It took much longer to accomplish the things that before had been extremely straightforward. And so God brought these three consequences as a result of Adam's rebellion and his turning away from the dwelling of the presence of God. Now, as I mentioned in the in the introductory uh episode, I I was meditating quite extensively for a number of months during the lockdown period on what are called the either the departure or the farewell discourses that Jesus gave with his disciples in as recorded in John 13 to 17. And in that passage, we have a number of specific metaphors that Jesus used to describe um, what it was that that uh, he had come to do, to restore, to bring back. But I, I, we'll be heading there. <laughs> this, is the, uh, this is the journey into that passage today. 
But first I want to go back to the prologue of John, where in chapter 1, verse 14, there are a number of different translations that I could draw from from this, but one of them being the one that Eugene Peterson mentioned, uh, translated and used. He said, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. In the New American Standard, it's the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that word dwelt in the New Testament is tabernacled. So God tabernacled among us. Uh, that's why Peterson translated it so dramatically and so uh, directly as, you know, he moved into the neighborhood. Another translation is God pitched his tent among us. So we have this concept here being introduced to us of, of, of God wanting to restore his dwelling pitch a tent among people, which Jesus is, we are told, began and did and brought to us. And this story of God pitching a tent um, goes way back into the Old Testament, and I want to follow some of that today. Unfortunately, I won't be able to take an extended time on this, but um, that's not the purpose really of these podcasts, it's to pr provoke thought and to enable you to begin to uh, think about some of these things and go into greater detail for yourselves. But in the, beginning of, in the beginning of the story of God's restoration, we have to begin with Abraham. And I, I'm not going to directly refer to any of the passages in his life from Genesis uh, that mention this, but I am going to talk from Hebrews, and I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here um, where God speaks about Abraham. And it's chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went, now, went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the, in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. And then it says these important words, verse 10. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So we're told here that Abraham, even in that beginning, in those beginning years, just a few generations after, after Adam and after the, uh, the, being, driven out of the being driven out of the garden, we see that, that we have a man who is called by God he dwells in tents all his life because he has no fixed residence on earth and he begins to anticipate something coming that is looking for. It says he's looking forward to, he's anticipating that the coming of a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. And it goes on in verse 13 where it says, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, having seen them, and welcomed them from a distance. So it's as if Abraham was glimpsing something and longing for something. And out of one of the part of the promise of Abraham was to have a son and to bear nations, and in him all those and nations of the world would be blessed. And so we have him anticipating this this new nationhood, this new people, this this new city, and and it has an architect built who's who the, the architect is God. 
and he is going to create or recreate or reform a, a community of his people, a city of his people, which he is able to dwell in and reside in and be a part of once again. He's able to pitch his tent amongst people. And it goes on to say that if Abraham wanted to return to a place which he had come from or to a, comp or to a city of, 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 of the world, he would have been able to go back to his home country. He would have been able to reestablish himself, but he was looking for a better city. Their desire was for something greater. Now, as we carry on this story, Abraham, as you know, just began to glimpse it towards the end of his life in his son Isaac. And he, obviously, with the coming, one of his grandson, Jacob, had this, this dramatic intervention of God, where he was running away from his brother in chapter 22, I believe, of Genesis. And he, he has this great vision, and he was running away from his brother because he had stolen both his birthright and his blessing, and he had deceived his father. So we have this, this, this chap fleeing for his safety, and he's in the middle of nowhere. He's, he's in the desert. It's a dry and arid area that he was crossing. And he goes to sleep on a stone, and he has a dream. And in this dream, we have Jesus standing at the top, and he at the bottom, and angels of God ascending and descending upon it. And then from, from the top of this ladder, Jesus speaks exactly the same promise over Jacob that his grandfather Abraham had received. And then he wakes up, and he says, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, we'll explore gate another time, because <laughs> that comes again in the New Testament. So we'll have a look briefly at that later on. But in, in one, of the, one of the pictures that Jesus uses uh, to describe himself and his relationship to us. But here we have Jacob, who's who's in no state of mind to really to, <laughs> to have this kind of dream. He's not seeking the Lord. He's not, <laughs> he's not away on some retreat. He's not even amongst the people of God worshipping. He's, he's, he's fearful. He's fe running away. He's scared. And, and yet God interrupts his life and brings this great blessing to him. And so he, he recognizes that God is wanting to come amongst him. This is, he's come down. He's, He's descended these stairs, he's spoken this word, and he's brought clarity and promise and blessing to Jacob as he had done to his grandfather Abraham. Now we carry on this 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 community, this this family spreads and grows, as you know, with Jacob. He had the the twelve well, the eleven children, twelve children, and they became the twelve tribes, and uh, and that that family and that nation grew and it grew largely in the land of Egypt, and it was oppressed there. And as you know, God raised up a deliverer, Moses. And he had a very clear instruction um, to, to lead the nation into the land of promise. But on that journey, there were certain things going to happen. And Moses led them to the place where he himself had had an encounter with God all those years previously in the burning bush and he takes them to Mount Sinai and in chapter 20 we see we can read the story but I'm going to just recount it to you just for the 
sake of time, God comes down on the mountain. He speaks out the Ten Commandments to the entire nation. He calls Moses up that mountain, and and then he gives him a series of instructions. He he inscribes in stone the commandments that he's given the people, and then he gives them a whole series of new instructions between chapter twenty one and and on to chapter thirty two. And and Moses is up there for a long time, and the people of Israel begin to get impatient, and then they 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 make with Aaron's help another god, a cow, a golden calf, one of the gods of Egypt. And as you know, God sees all of this. Moses comes down, and there is again a judgment on the people. And God threatens not to go with them. He says he will send an angel. That's in chapter 33. Um, but um, then it, but he'll send an angel with them to drive out the nations. But he won't go himself. And then Moses has this, this long discussion with God. And there's a bit of an interlude where we see uh, Moses talking about, um, well, a description of how Moses had already found a, a, a tent which he pitched outside the camp and this was called his tent of meeting and he would meet with God and he went out to this tent to pray and to seek the Lord. And it, uh, it records the prayer that Moses prayed about saying, Lord, you must, make, you must come with us. How will the enemies and others know that we are separate, we're distinct, we're your people if your presence doesn't go with us? And from verse 12 of that chapter 33, he, he pleads with God and intercedes for the people. And, and God relents and changes his mind about his original plan and promises to Moses that he would go with the people irrespective of their rebellious nature and heart. And in that, those chapters between chapter 20 and chapter 32, we have a whole description that God gave to uh, to Moses about how to build a tabernacle and what that was to look like. Uh, notice that the tent of meeting came before the tabernacle. Moses had pitched this tent outside the camp to go and meet with God to separate himself from the, the hubbub of, 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 the, of the nation and to engage in, pre, in prayer with the Lord. And the, the scriptures tell us there that he used to meet with God face to face. So we see Moses being instructed to build this tabernacle, and he built it, according to Hebrews 8, according to the pattern that he had seen upon the mountain. Now, what was this pattern? Obviously, he had a glimpse of the dwelling of God in heaven, and so he saw what was recorded in heaven and what was placed in heaven. And if we read the book of Revelation, you'll see that many of the items that were in the that Moses was instructed to put into the tabernacle were actually a part of the vision that John uh, the revelator saw the, the the candlesticks there the altar of incense is there uh, different aspects of, of of that that temple that tabernacle that and then the temple that were built were copies of what uh, what is re resident with the father in heaven and so Moses built this tabernacle as a representative or as a shadow, as a type of, of God's dwelling, God's house in heaven. 
And this theme of tabernacle and house carries on throughout throughout the rest of the Old Testament. There's so many scriptures I wouldn't be able to mention them all, but I want to start by just referring to the Psalms, and uh, we'll probably conclude there. But in Psalm 90, which actually is Moses' psalm, it's the one that the one psalm that is attributed to him in the in the in the Psalter, and the psalm says, verse one says this: "Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all the generations." In the New Living Translation, it's "Lord, through all the generations, you've been our home." And so here is Moses speaking to God, and it's and it's a sobering psalm, is Psalm ninety, um, but he he calls on and declares that God has been their home through all the generations. And on in through the Psalms, we read just scripture after scripture talking about uh, the house of God. Verse Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate or inquire in his temple. And that's one of many, many. Uh, I can turn to others. Um, Psalm, 40, Psalm 43 would be another one which, which I can give to you. So, oh, send out your, my, your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy, and upon the lyre I will praise him. But I think I want to end this session by looking at Psalm 84, because this is uh, not a psalm of David. It was a psalm of uh, one of his one of his colleagues, Asaph, I believe, uh, or one of the sons of Korah, it says. And it starts, How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy for the living God. And then he goes, talks about how the birds find a home there and uh, a place of blessing where they can raise their young. And then he says this, How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Or as the NIV says, who've set their heart on pilgrimage. So it's just this journeying back into the house of God to seek out, like Abraham, the presence of God and the home of God and the house of God and the tabernacle of God. And, and, then it, and then we know well the scripture, don't we? For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God or be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. So I'd, I'd rather just have a glimpse. I'd just rather be on the edge of the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be a servant serving in the house of God, introducing people to the house of God, then, and, and never really maybe quite getting inside totally myself, but that's I'd rather be there than anywhere else. Um, and so we see this, this theme of God wanting to restore his house, his tabernacle, and that is where we are going to conclude this session. Well, thanks very much. It's really good to have had this time with you. And uh, if you enjoy these podcasts, please do... Uh, press the subscribe button or the follow button wherever you receive your, your podcast messages. Thank you, and we'll talk again soon. Till the next time. Bye.